Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Just like Noah said, my name is Clayton. I'm the senior pastor here at Central. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Uh, thank you guests that are here today and everybody that's watching us um, online today. I'm so glad you guys uh, have chosen to, to be a part of what God is doing here at, at our church. And how many of you guys are, are great cooks? I mean, I, I need to know. I mean, this is something, okay, a couple of you teenagers over there. Um, yeah, some of y'all are great cooks. I, that's something that I, I, I strive to, to be is a, is a better cook. And, and um, the other day, uh, Hannah and I were, were, at, were at home, and I got out the, my, the Instapot. Anybody got one of those Instapots? You know, those things, are, those things are awesome. And so I got out the Instapot, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to make, I'm gonna make this, this thing with like a, uh, some some pot roast and some some rice and I'm gonna I'm gonna get some vegetables I'm gonna put it all in there because that's what you do you just throw it all in there and just hit the button and it just comes out perfect and and uh, I, I I turned it on and about uh, I don't know 45 minutes later it was done and I opened it up thinking man this is gonna be a great meal and it's like oh looking at me right now um, and and we got it out and it was just like I just pulverized all of it I don't know what happened and uh, but but all the rice just like turned to mush and all the vegetables just like mush in the meat was just terrible and, and tough and I it was like gruel it was just gruel I mean it's like POW like camp kind of food it was no flavor to it it was it was just really rough it was so bad that uh Holly was was out of town we left it there for like a day and a half we just left it in Instapot it was just so it was just it was just disgusting it was it was a struggle and I was thinking about some other times in my life where Things have been a struggle. Um, several years ago, I took a group of students, about 20 students, on a mission trip and went to Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, jungle kind of atmosphere, uh, very hot, very very humid. And one of the, the things we were going to do on this mission trip was to help out this organization by building a foundation behind their building for like a, an addition. And we get to this place and we're like, we're 20 strong Americans and here we go. And all they wanted us to do was just to dig four holes. We're like, well, that's easy. I mean, give us, we're going to give us a couple hours. We'll have some, we'll need something else to do. This is no big deal for us. So we start to dig and like, by lunchtime, we had gotten down about, I don't know, like half a foot, I mean, in, in, in this dirt. And I realized that this dirt was like concrete. It was, it, was this, it was this clay mixture that was so strong and tough that there's no way to even get through it. And so we began to dig, and we're like, is that good enough? And the guy was like, no, just a little bit longer, a little bit more. And every day, we, we, we would just dig these four holes. So we divide them into four teams, and we're digging these holes. We're about this big around for these, this foundation. And they wanted us to go down about seven feet. And so we had to dig seven feet down into this, into this clay, and it took us all week. Five days, that's all we did in Costa Rica was dig four holes. I mean, that, that, was, that was our mission trip, it was just digging these four holes. And the biggest problem was is that every single day, we would show up to the work site, and the, the holes would be full of water. And we're like... It didn't rain, like what's going on? We realized that we were under this water table. There was, there was kind of a hill behind us, and so the water was just draining all day, all night long into, into the, these, these holes. And so we spent all day with like this, this chain gang, and we were just like, like just bailing water and digging, and people would jump in until they were exhausted, and they'd switch out. And for five days, all we did was dig these, these, five, these four holes. It was a disaster. It was tough. It was a struggle. And I was thinking about this in life. We can, we can deal with some struggles, you know, like if it's a struggle at work, it's, it's not that big of a deal. We can handle it. If we're, you know, 
having to bail water out of a hole or dig a hole. It's, you know, it's just a temporary thing, and, and we, we will get through it. If, if the meal is ruined, it'll be all right. Chick-fil-A is open, except on Sundays. And so, and so you know, we'll, we'll go and get something else to eat. You know, we can handle some, some struggles in life. But I was thinking about this. No one wants their family to struggle, you know? I mean, none of us want our families to struggle. We want, we want things to be good. Uh, for spouses in this room, I know what you want. You want happiness in your marriage, and you want to be fulfilled. Dads in this room, you want to make sure and know that your family is, is secure and provided for. Moms, you, you want your, your family to, to be nurtured and protected. And for all the kids in this room, I, I think that most of you guys, you want your family to be together. It doesn't really matter what, if it's big house or small house or out in the country in the city. You just, you just want to be, you want to be together. And you want to have a, a safe place that you can actually, actually grow up. But something that happens in every single family, there's a visitor that always comes to the door. In fact, I would say it's not even a visitor. It's someone that actually has keys to your door. So it doesn't knock on your door, ask to be let in. It just opens the door and comes right in. And that visitor is reality, you know. It's just reality that, that your family life is going to struggle. It's difficult. Family lives, families go through a lot of different stuff. And right now, your family may be in, a, in the middle of a, a hole, you know. You may be struggling in a, in a severe way, or you've experienced that in the past, and you're wondering what went wrong. And what I would say is that that is not thriving. If someone says, hey, is your family thriving? You'd be like, absolutely not. Like, it's, it's, it's a struggle right now. And I think this is something that God wants us, our church, to, to talk about for the next couple of weeks. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at Three keys to a thriving family. If you want your family to thrive, there's, there's these three incredible biblical elements of, of families that are doing things well. And we're going to look at a specific story all the way in the Old Testament that is going to help us to understand it. And it's, it's in the book of Ruth. So you have your Bibles, you can turn into the Old Testament to, to the book of Ruth. And as you're, as you're turning there, let me give you kind of a little, little background on what's, what's going to happen. So Ruth is, uh, is, is the story of Ruth is, is about a mother and a daughter-in-law, and they end up being kind of on their own, and they beat the odds, and we're going to talk about what those are today, to develop a, a thriving family. So we'll start in Ruth chapter, chapter 1. I'm going to read some of this right now. We're going to illustrate it up here on, on the screen for you. It says this. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and he went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. So up on the screen right here, this is, this is Judah. This is where the Israelites are. This is the Dead Sea. And then this is the, the country of the nation of, of Moab. And they were, they were at odds. They were enemies. And so it says that this family was, was uh, they were in Bethlehem, but they had to find their way to Moab because of a severe famine over here um, in Israel during that time. And here's what it says. It says the, the man's name was Elimelech and his wife. So there's Elimelech right there up on the screen. Uh, and his wife was Naomi. 
And their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died. And Naomi was, was left with her two sons. And the two sons, they married Moabite women. So they married these foreign women. One married a woman named Orpah. Not Oprah, Orpah. And the other, a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. And so that's kind of to illustrate what happened in this family. And all of a sudden, Naomi, who is an Israelite, is left with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And that is the, the existence of their, their family. And then it goes on and says this. Then Naomi... She heard while she was in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So there's no famine anymore. There's lots of rain. Everything's going well over in Judah. So, so Naomi and her daughters-in-law, they got ready to leave Moab and to return to her homeland. And with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living. And they took the road that would lead them back to, to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, said, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And so what was happening is somewhere along this journey, maybe they got a little bit um, away along the journey. Like there was a moment where they stopped, and Naomi said, you know what, God, uh, ladies, I am releasing you from my family. Like You don't have to go back to where I am from. You're about, this is a foreign land to you. Man, I'm giving you the opportunity to go back to your, to your people. And it says this, then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and they wept. And they said, they said, no, we want to go with you to your people. And so Naomi, she goes through in several verses trying to persuade them of saying, this is not going to go good for you. There's no way I can provide for you. I mean, we're three women in a culture where if it's three women alone, I mean, you're, you're, you, there's no way to, to find, a, find a job. There's no way to take care of yourself. We're in a bad spot. It says, and again, they wept together. And Orpah, she kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, so she left. Orpah said, you know what? I'm turning around. I'm, I'm going to go back. It's just not worth the risk. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. And Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and, and to her gods. And if you're smart, you would do the same thing. And then we get to verse 16, which is kind of our, our main verse for today. It's a famous verse. You've heard it before. This is Ruth's response to that. She said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people and your God, your God will be my God as well. Now, we look at this, and we associate that with wedding vows, don't we? How many of you guys use that in your wedding? A lot of, a lot of people maybe use that in your wedding. I think we used that, that uh, verse in our wedding. It's, a, it's, it's talking about commitment and, like, deep loyalty. It's saying, hey, I'm going to stick with you no matter what happens. I'm going to stick with you. But the truth this morning is this, that the facts don't back up our commitments that we make up on stage, wherever we, we have our, our wedding, because the average marriage only lasts in this country, the average marriage only lasts eight years. Did y'all know that? Eight years. That's the, that's the average length of, of, of a marriage. Only, 
only about half of first-time marriages last. Only a third of second-time marriages last. And if you get married for the third time, there's only about a a 25% chance of it surviving. And there's lots of reasons why marriages don't last. I mean, there's, there's abuse that happens. There's, there's uh, cheating. There's uh, irreconcil- irreconcilable differences that goes on. But they did a big study and they asked people that, that had been divorced in our, in our culture and said, what was maybe the one, number one reason, among other things, that, that uh, didn't work out? And they, 75% of people said it was a lack of commitment. This lack of commitment was just something they, they couldn't get over and, it, and it, it drove them apart and they ended up splitting up. And I think in our culture, and especially in, in the Christian culture, the Christian subculture, we need to fix that. What we need is we need more sticky marriages. Marriages that are connected and there's this commitment. We need more sticky families. And if you think about this, if you want something to stick, what is the best substance to use? Maybe, maybe like duct tape or something like that. I don't know. Duct tape's pretty good. It's like the Oklahoma way of fixing things. But anyways, one of the best ways to, to fix something is actually with, with, with super glue. Super glue is one of the, the best uh, um, inventions that we've had in a really long time. In fact, it was invented during World War II. And it has this super glue, the original name has this crazy, crazy uh, name. I mean, let me try to say it right. It's, it's actually called Alcohol Catalyzed cyanoacrylate adhesive. That's a mouthful. And that's not something that you go to the store, like to Lowe's, Home Depot, like, can I have the, uh, the alcohol? Like, it's like, no, I don't want to say that. And so what happens is they, they change the name to, to superglue. And superglue is incredibly strong. It's this, it's this little tiny bottle that you get at the store, but it has, man, it, it, the, the, the bond that it can create is actually pretty remarkable. In fact, Loctite superglue has been tested to hold up a, a, uh, a two-ton car with only nine drops of superglue. It's able to pick up a two-ton car with just nine drops of superglue. That's, that's incredibly strong. That's an, that's, that's an incredible bond. And so I think every family should have superglue, like at home. So if you don't have superglue, you need to go get some, some superglue. It'll fix, it'll fix a, a lot of things. And so every time you go to the house and you see superglue, I, I want you to think about your family and the commitments that you have. We need, we need something I'm going to call today a superglue attitude. This attitude of commitment and loyalty that actually is just like Ruth had. It's exactly what Ruth um, uh, exemplified for us a long time ago, and it's important for us today. And so I wanted to go through a couple things that as I was studying this scripture, these things came to, to, to light um, from this one passage, this, this one verse of verse 16. So let me, let me kind of go back through it. Ruth said this, wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I, I will live. I think there's, this is a great um, there's a great principle that comes out of this. And another way of saying this for us, to have a super glue kind of attitude in your family is to be able to say this, that distance, destinations, and even bad decisions won't divide us. Those things, no matter, no matter what happens, they aren't going to, to split us apart. And that's exactly what Ruth was trying to say to Naomi, saying, no matter what, 
Those things aren't going to divide us. Instead of running like Orpah did, Ruth said yes to Naomi because she's, she wanted to stick to her like glue. And it's really kind of interesting in the, the story because Naomi had nothing to offer Ruth. A lot of times we stick with people if they have something to offer us and something to give to us. But Naomi had nothing. She had no job. She had no income. She had no other, other boys for um, Ruth and, and Orpah to, to marry. There was nothing for Ruth in that relationship. And Ruth said, no matter what you can offer me or not, I'm going to stick with you because you're family. Because you're family. And her commitment to Naomi, it, it trumped personal security and it trumped comfort in this life. And I think for us, there, there are some things that we need to think about that, that, we're, that we need to ask. Is our commitment trumping these other aspects of our life? Like, I think for a lot of us, we carry into marriages a kind of a me-centered attitude. We have these this me-centered desires that we bring with us, and then we are not willing to sacrifice those things for our marriage or for our kids. For some of us, we have some hobbies that, that we say fulfill us, but actually all they do is separate us from our families. Some of us, we bring into marriage relationships these, these plans of our future. We're not willing to say, you know what? It's not about my plans and me dragging you along with those, but instead it's us coming together and creating new plans. It's this idea of having such a strong commitment that you're willing to take your personal desires and even some of your own comforts that you're wanting and putting them aside for your family. We are called to be committed, not with just words that we say up on stage when we get married, but actually with actions year after year. And that's exactly what Ruth did. Now, Ruth, in this, this verse, she also says, says something else. She says that your people will be my people. Your people will be my people. And another way of saying this, another way to, to get out this super glue kind of attitude is to say this. I will marry your family and I won't mold you into my image. Let me, let me pack, unpack that a little bit. But that's kind of, what, that's kind of what, what Ruth was saying to Naomi. When you get married... You get up on stage and you say, you know, for better or worse, you know. And a lot of times we think about, you know, getting sick or things like that. But, but man, what, is it, what if it has to do, and I think it does have a lot to do with the, the family that you're bringing <laughs> along with, with you. And for some of us, your, your spouse's family might be for better or it might be for worse, you know. And, but the truth is, is that you marry that family. You bring that family and you say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of, of who you are. One of the best examples of that is, is Christmas Vacation, you know, uh, the incredible, amazing movie Christmas Vacation where you have, you have Clark and uh, Ellen and they are, they are bringing their whole family um, to, to Christmas at, at their house. And I don't know if you caught this, but most of the people, the, the parents, the grandparents, the aunt, the uncle, the cousin, all those people that actually came, they were not really Clark's family. They all Almost all of them were Ellen's family. And so Ellen brings 
this aunt and uncle that are crazy, and they light the tree on fire, and he goes, you know, they bring a cat, and they box the cat up, and they're just, they're totally lost it. And then all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and Ellen's cousin shows up. Her name is Catherine, and you know who Catherine brings with her? Eddie, right? Cousin Eddie. I don't know if you caught this, but Clark, that was not, that was not Clark's cousin. It was, it was his wife's cousin's husband. Like, that's so far removed. And, and, and Clark had to, like, bring him into, his, into their family. And it was just, obviously, it's just a total disaster, and it's crazy. A lot of us have that kind of example in our own lives of, of families that are a little messed up, and we would rather just skip that family reunion. But you know what? God calls us to accept people. Romans 15, 7 says this. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. I love the second part of this verse, this this phrase, just as Christ has accepted you. I want you to think about all the junk that you bring into that kind of relationship. All the things that God, that that Jesus could, could, you know, say, you know what, I I don't want a part of, of you because of that. Yet he still accepts us. And he says, you know what? We should accept other people with all their faults as well. And here's what happens when we do. The Bible says that God gets glory. You know, another part of the superglue attitude is the second part of, of that, that principle. I won't mold you into my image. And when Ruth says, you know what? I, your people will be my people. I think that's also what she is saying. She's saying, I'm not going to try to change you. Ruth, you know what Ruth did? She accepted Naomi. She accepted Naomi's culture. She accepted Naomi's family just as they were. But our problem is that we treat people that we love like the cars that we love. We try to fix them, don't we? If something is wrong, we, we, want, to, we want to fix it. Um, my wife's car's got some electrical problems we're trying to work through, and so I'm like underneath the dash, and I'm messing with wires, and you're like, what is Clayton doing? I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying to, trying to fix this car because we, we like this car. We need it to, to run right, and so we're working through all these things, and I'm on YouTube trying to figure, uh, figure it out, but that's what we do sometimes with people. We see like these little quirks that people have, and you say, you know what? Let me, let me get in there, and let me, let me make some tweaks, and you know what? I, I'm going to fix you. But the truth is, we shouldn't fix people to be like us or what we want them to be. We should instead do this. We should encourage people to be like Jesus, not like us. And all, honestly, one of the best ways that we can do that in our, in our families, because everybody's got issues and we all need to improve. I get that. But one of the best ways we can do that is actually to be an example for them. Not say, you need to be like this, but instead, you just be like Jesus. In fact, 1 John says this, that those who say they live in God, they should live their lives as Jesus did. It doesn't say, hey, you know, if you're going to be a good Christian, you know what, you need to be like your pastor, or you need to be like your, your small group leader, okay? Or even like, you need to be like your spouse. No, it says, you need to be like Jesus. You need to be like Jesus. He should be the one that we should try to be like, instead of molding people to be like us. And the truth is, is, every relationship is like that. Every marriage relationship, we, got, we know our spouse's you know, little quirks, right? 
And if we're not careful, we'll try to mold them to be like us, to have the same mannerisms as us, same attitude, you know, same outlook on things. And, you know, you just need to be a morning person like I am or whatever, right? Like we, we, try, to, we try to change people, but yet God has made them unique. Instead, we should encourage them to be like Jesus. Now, Ruth's not done. She's going to give us one more in this passage, in this, this verse 16. And she says this, your God will be my God. She says, your God will be my God. And the superglue attitude for this is saying it this way. I will, pursue, I will personally pursue God and we will worship together. That's what she was saying. Your God will be my God. We will, I will personally pursue God and we're going to worship God together. You see, Ruth, she, she chose God over her former life and her former religion. And Ruth, she gave up so much. She gave up her past ways of living. Now, that may seem, that may see, seem easy, you know, like, hey, you're moving on to this, this new thing. But I would say we struggle with that. Like, we struggle with giving up our past way of living. A couple years ago, our, our family was up in Colorado, and we were going to go on this uh, horseback ride. So we go to the place where all the horses were, um, this stable, and there's some other people with us. And, you know, if you've ever been on a horseback ride, and you get up there, all the horses are, are tied to, in, in the pen, and you're like, you're trying to figure out which one you're most compatible with. You know, like, I want that one. And so, and so I'm kind of looking at them, just sizing them up, and they're putting different people on, on the horses. And, and it got down to where there's only a couple horses left, and, and one of them was this majestic, beautiful, it was a big old horse. Like, it was the boss. You could tell that it was in charge. I mean, it was just head over shoulders, looked better, more energetic, taller. Like, it was, it was just the dominant horse. I'm like, oh, he's saving it for me. Like, he understands me, right? I'm like, here we go. And he, the, the guy, the wrangler guy looks at me, and it just gives me, like, the most boring ordinary horse like just this most it was just this bland horse and it, it wouldn't run it just wanted to walk it was just it was just it was terrible like I was like let's go and the horse was like I'm in charge and and I ended up getting this horse and I remember we were we were leaving like in single file line on these horses and and I and I looked back and that one big horse was just left there by itself it was tied up to to the to the post and it was just it was just gone and we, we took off without it And I was thinking about this. Let me, let, me, let me, can I say this? I think there's a problem in our families. I think there's a problem that plagues so many of us, and it's, it's men. It's us guys. Like, too many of us are like that horse that our family has left us spiritually. And they're on a, a journey and an adventure without their leader. And so what happens is the wife has to begin to lead spiritually when God has called men to lead spiritually. And yet we're stuck back, tied up to the, to the fence. And there's this imbalance that, that happens. And what happens is it ends up dividing your marriage. And there's this resentment that happens. And even worse than that is that your sons and your daughters, they learn the wrong way. Your sons and your daughters learn how to stay in the barn. But God called men to be the spiritual leaders. And I think this is found in here, this idea that 
my God. Your God will be my God. We have to, every single one of us, personally pursue God. Your spouse personally pursuing God is not going to cut it. It has to be you. There has to be this personal pursuit of God. John 3.3 talks about it. Look, Look at this. It says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And we, we look at this verse. We, we could talk about the kingdom of God here. We talk about what it means to be born again. But to me, the most important part of this, this verse is this one word right here, you. You. You personally, men. You have to pursue God. You must be born again. You must have a relationship with God. If you want, if you want your family to thrive You cannot sit on the sidelines. We can't do it. We all have to follow God. And that's what Ruth was saying. He said, hey, you know what? I'm not just going to follow you along and tag along with you, Naomi. Instead, God is going to be my God. My God. I'm going to have a personal relationship with God. And it's going to help my family to thrive. But also, I think in this passage, we also see that she says we're going to worship together. Your God and is going to be, God is going to be your God and my God. Meaning together, together we're going, to, we're going to worship God. And that's something we have to do. We have to worship God together. And this is where our past kind of messes things up sometimes. Look at Galatians 2.20 says. Galatians 2.20 says that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I think a lot of us, we've grown up like maybe not going to church or being a spiritual leader. And we just have this this uh, expectation that's really not there or, or we, this, this old way of this habit of not being a spiritual leader, men in, in this room. And so we're like, you know what, there's, there's, no, there's no way of changing it. There's no reason I should change that. But the Bible here says that when you become a believer in Christ, your old ways, your old habits, they're gone. They're dead. It's an opportunity for families to get into alignment and to be committed together to worshiping God. And Ruth was saying, hey, your God, my God, the same God, we're going to do this together. You see, Ruth, Ruth's a great example of, of loyalty and the families who are, are sticking together. But the sad reality is, is that many of us We are examples, not of that, but we're examples of abandonment. We're examples of betrayal. We're examples of unfaithfulness. And what happens is, the result of that is is shattered lives. Some of us are on our second marriage, on our third marriage. And we look back at those other previous marriages, we see what happened. And that is a part of our story, but it doesn't have to be our, our future at all. Because the good news is, is that lives can be transformed and restored. And the way that they're transformed and restored is through faithfulness, commitment. In fact, this sums up today's key. If we're talking about three keys to a thriving family, this first key today sums it up. To be a thriving family is, to, is just to be this, to be always faithful. It's like the Marine Corps motto, right? Simplify. To be always faithful. And the best thing about it is that Jesus is our example. When people were abandoning him, when people were unfaithful, he was faithful. And he went 
to the cross for you and me. Here's the point. Sticky attitude requires sacrifice. It requires you and I sacrificing in our relationships. And Jesus, get this, guys, Jesus shows us truly what this means. In John 15, 13, he's about to go to the cross. People are abandoning him. Here's what he says. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to show you my commitment. I'm going to show you my attitude. I'm going to show you my, my super glue attitude. And that no matter what you do, I am not leaving. I'm committed. And I'm going to see this through. Let me say that the, the world has never been the same. Jesus' commitment here, his attitude towards us, even when we are unfaithful, changed the world. And it can change your life too. When you trust in Jesus and put your hope and your faith in him, say, you know what, I can't save myself, I need a savior to save me from my sins. Jesus promises to come in and he went to the cross and he died for you. That's faithfulness. Our families need that. Our willingness to die to ourselves. To be loyal. And to be committed. For men to sacrifice for their families. For spouses to sacrifice their own wants and desires for a new want and new desire together. If we do that, we'll thrive. And the best part about it is that when we thrive as families, then our focus is not on all of the, the struggles, but it's on opportunities to be a light in a dark world. That's awesome. That is my prayer for your family. In fact, let me pray for you right now. Father, I, I, I come before you right now, and I just want to lift up every single family that's here this morning, everyone that's watching or going to watch this online. And I know that every single one of us has some big struggles that we're going through. Some of them has to do with our marriage relationships or extended family relationships or uh, of the kids in, in the family, siblings. Life is full of sin, and we are sinners trying to live in the same house. It's, it's tough. God, you understand that, though. And you give us examples in your word of what it looks like to be a family that's committed together. And I, I thank you for Ruth and her example. I thank you for Naomi and her example and their, their relationship together, their willingness to say, no matter what happens, we're going to stick together. And so Lord, I pray that you would reveal in every family right now, in every single person, what is the thing that needs to change? What is the attitude that needs to change? What do they personally need to sacrifice for the good of their family? Our families are one of our top priorities in all of our lives. Pray, God, that it would be a priority right now. While you guys are praying, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you just to keep praying. I want you to, I'm going to give you some space for a few minutes to just pray for your family.
We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what, I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, we want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, and that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.